0: Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from Exodus, chapter 18. I'll give you a minute to find that in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, uh, please feel free to use one of the Red Pew Bibles. Again, scripture from Exodus, chapter 18. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, and father-in-law of Moses... Heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the desert where he was camped near the mount of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then they went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done. To Pharaoh and the Egyptian for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who he had treated. Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, "'What is this you are doing for the people?' Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to to me to see God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, "What What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws, and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all the people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people. Officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: God and Father, as we come now to your word, pray that you would be with us, your people, as we sit under it. You would encourage our hearts, teach us to more faithfully follow after you. Pray that you would be with all of us sinners as we come into your presence and hear from you. And that you would be with me, a sinner, as I seek to proclaim your word. Pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is going to be kind of a different sermon than usual. One of the dilemmas in the first place that I often feel as a preacher is that you sit and kind of study a text and you come away feeling like there are like completely different sermons you could preach from it. The Bible is deep and you don't exhaust a passage just by preaching one sermon. Maybe you've experienced that. You've like visited churches or something and heard two sermons on the same passage and You've seen how they go in really different directions. And so the sermon that we're going to have this morning, we'll get to in a minute. But first, I just, because I couldn't help myself, want to briefly note a couple of sermons that you could preach from this text that we're not going to preach. First of all, one of the sermons that we're not going to preach is about how we relate to outsiders, how we think about people outside of God's people. I think a lot of us have this tendency to view the world in very us versus them categories and paint us as the good guys and them as the bad guys. But this is a story about Moses' father-in-law Jethro coming to visit him. And we meet them in verse 1. It says, Now Jethro, a priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out Of Egypt. And the thing to recognize about Jethro is he's not an Israelite. He's a Midianite, first of all, which is one of the tribes that throughout the coming history is at war with Israel. And he's a priest of Midian, so he's actually a priest of some, you know, in the view of Israel, idolatrous religion. But in this sermon, He comes to Moses, and if I was preaching that sermon, here would be my three points. One, we would point out that Moses is respectful to his father-in-law, even though they have these differences, both earlier in Exodus and here He shows him a lot of respect, even though this guy literally leads people in the worship of idols. And two, we would reflect on the fact that Jethro shows enormous wisdom in this story. This is basically a story about how Moses is being dumb, and Jethro, this outsider, comes and points that out to him and gives him wisdom. And that should remind us that we should be ready to learn from everyone that being a Christian does not necessarily mean you are wise, and that being someone outside of christianity doesn't mean that you don't have lots of good things to say and then third point we also see how jethro in this story is moved towards faith in god and so we could reflect on the hope that we have as we deal with outsiders to see god move and draw them to himself that would be a good sermon i think but we're not going to preach it and i apologize for those of you that are note takers i hope you know you, you you saw this coming and we're also not going to preach another sermon that we could from this text about knowing our limits Being wise and recognizing that we can't do everything and can't be everyone to everyone Moses is sitting as judge for all of israel Because they don't know what it means to live as god's people And the whole nation is bringing every question they have to moses and he's deciding and answering all of them And jethro sees this and thinks well hold on a minute moses And here's his advice. Um, He says, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And then Jethro gives Moses this practical strategy to deal with all of this stuff that he's doing. And if that was the sermon, we would talk about the reality that we all have limits like this. God does not call us to be superhuman. We each only can do so much. None of us have all the gifts. None of us have all the time. And we would discuss how within the church, we're also provided with people to help us, just like Moses is provided with help here. We have this community of people with different gifts and talents to share the load with. And so we should use each other. And again, that would also be a good and needful sermon, but we're not going to preach that sermon either this morning. However, I I do that first because I don't want to skip over those themes in the text. We're going to be talking about some different stuff that we'll get into in a minute. But if either of those things touch a nerve with you, I would encourage you to spend some time reflecting on this story and how it should remind us of our need to be gracious and learn from outsiders or of the reality that we can't do everything and need help. However, our sermon this morning is going to explore another component of this text. That is God's structure for leadership. Moses in this story appoints these godly leaders over Israel, and really in this story we see for the first time the system of, of government and rule that's established for Israel, the structure that God puts over his people, and really Um, that's a significant part of why this text is in Exodus. Because it is the first time we see this system put in place that continues throughout the Old Testament and continues in the New Testament. And it's meant to explain to Israel why they have these sorts of leaders over them. Um, Things have developed a lot since Exodus, which we'll get to in a minute. But um, still in the church today, we exist in a place that has a system where there's leadership and um and often that system is invisible to us and i feel a little different about preaching on something like this because um some sermons you're just like this is like everyday practical for all of us and this is not one of those topics but i do think as we work through scripture that it's important for us occasionally to step back and reflect on some of those things and what the bible teaches. Because while not all of us spend much of our time thinking about these things, they really matter in terms of how we live together as a church well. And in particular, there's a few practical reasons we'll discuss at the end for why we're talking about this right now. But here's the plan. First, I want us to reflect on a few details in this story in Exodus. Because like we said, this is the foundation for what comes later. And then we're going to talk about the New Testament And notice how those threads continue and see how God calls his church to be led in the New Testament and what godly leadership looks like. And then lastly, to talk about a few practical things that come out of that. And one note on that last point. Like I said, we're going to talk about some concrete stuff. That's part of why we're discussing this then. Um our session which is a word i will define later in the sermon but um is gonna at our next congregational meeting ask for a few practical changes but um that exists within the context of the broader biblical picture of leadership and so we'll get there all right first though let's talk about the text that we read this morning and notice a couple of things So Moses is the leader of Israel in Exodus. If you've been with us as we've been preaching through the book, that probably isn't news to you. But when it talks about his leadership, it really involves two jobs that Moses has. One of Moses' jobs is about communicating God's truth to the people. Leading and teaching them in God's truth. So in verse 15, this is how Moses describes what he does to Jethro. He says, because the people come to me to seek God's will, whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. So really, there's two things Moses is describing there. One, he says, I'm teaching the people. Israel has lived in Egypt for 430 years. They Do not know what it means to live as god's people and part of moses's job is to teach them god's decrees and instructions And at the same time He's also deciding Which is to say he has this authority. He's judging these cases that israel brings when israelites have disputes or issues that arise in their life He's deciding them. That's all part of communicating god's truth. So that's part of what moses does and then in exodus the other part of what moses does is what we could call mediating which is to say he stands between god and israel and that's how jethro describes part of moses's job he says listen now to me and i will give you some advice and may god be with you you must be the people's representative before god and bring their disputes to him so moses is this representative this mediator between god and israel all right That's the two things Moses is doing as the leader of Israel. But Moses then appoints these leaders that are under him and over Israel. Since Moses cannot, he doesn't have the time or energy or strength to to be physically present with every Israelite, right? He appoints these leaders underneath him that lead God's people. And one of the things that this account stresses about those leaders is that they are qualified. Here's how Jethro describes them he says, but select capable men from all the people who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. So they're to find these spiritually mature people and appoint them as leaders under Moses. They have to have a certain character that fits with that role of leadership um, and things so that they're not led astray by selfishness or seeking dishonest gain. And so they take these people And what happens is Moses delegates part of his authority to them. We said Moses kind of has two jobs as the leader of Israel. One part is mediating, and he does not delegate that part of his job to these people. That's his role. But then the other part is communicating God's truth, both in terms of teaching and in terms of deciding and having authority. And that does get delegated to these leaders. They bring the hardest cases to moses himself to kind of work through but the rest of the time they're kind of serving as the the representatives of moses to the people to decide these things all right that's what happens here in exodus store that in your head and then let's fast forward to the new testament so skipping a couple of things jesus ascends into heaven and institutes the church and the first leaders of the church are his disciples and then over time, as the church grows and the gospel spreads, other leaders are added to the disciples. And there are some similarities in what ends up happening to what we just read about in Exodus. First of all, the key thing to recognize, I think, when we talk about leading the church, is that the role of Moses now belongs to Jesus. Which is to say that um, the role of this like absolute leader, Who's the head of everything and who mediates between god and people that's jesus in the church age As paul tells timothy there is one god and one mediator between god and mankind the man christ jesus So jesus communicates god's truth to us and leads us and jesus mediates between us and god And it's important to say that up front because there's no human being in the church that has that office anymore Does that make sense? Sometimes certain leaders in the church paint themselves as if they're Moses with the same sort of authority Moses had, and no leader has that. That's Jesus. He's the head of the church. He's the head pastor, all right? Um, But then there's also a group of people to whom Jesus delegates authority within the church. And in the New Testament, those people are called elders. Here is the New Testament pattern that we find. The gospel comes to the city, and some people believe, and they're gathered as a local church, and then over those people are appointed elders. Um, So here's the pattern in the book of Acts. It says, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed the elders to the Lord in whom they had believed. Or it's paul's instruction to titus they go and they start these churches paul and titus and then he leaves titus behind And he says this is why I left you in crete So that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you So we have these elders that are appointed And it's important to recognize that in each of the churches. There's a group of elders that are being appointed, right? It's always plural in the bible. There's always a group of people. No church is run by a single elder And since I said I would define the word, um, what we call that group of elders in in our church and in Presbyterianism is a session, all right? So when I said the session has some stuff, that's just our way of describing specifically those elders who are active and making decisions and ruling at a given point in time, all right? Um, It's important for us to recognize, note too, that they do have that role of communicating God's truth, right? The teaching and leading, just like we talked about before. That's the role that these elders step into, and it's important to recognize that elders are the only group of people who have this kind of authority. The New Testament uses a couple of different words when it talks about leaders in the church. There's elder, which is what we've been talking about, from the Greek word presbyteros, if you really are interested in those things. There is a word that means overseer, But often, you could also translate it as bishop, just because it comes from the Greek word episkopos, which sounds, you know, language. It ended up sounding like bishop, right? So, overseer, or bishop. And then there is um, the Greek word shepherd, poimen, but um, we use pastor oftentimes as the word. It means shepherd. Does that make sense? There's just three words that describe the leaders in the church. But the thing to recognize in the Bible is that all three of those words describe the same group of people. All right, they describe the same people. Let me just show you that a couple of t- places. So like in Acts 20, in verse 17, we read that from Miletus... Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church, so he gathers the the elders and he gives them this sermon And at the end of the sermon, he gives them this charge He says keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the holy spirit has made you Overseers, right? That's the word for bishops Overseers and he says be shepherds be pastors of the church of god, which he bought with his own blood So he's talking to the elders and he says you are the church's Bishops, the overseers, and you are the church's pastors, the shepherds. Does that make sense? Or again, in Titus 1, we read verse 5 already, but Paul says that he left Titus in Crete that he should appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. And then he starts describing what it means to be an elder, and in verse 7, he says, talking about the elders, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. And then he goes on to list these qualifications we'll come back to. But he says, he's talking, here's what you do with elders there overseers or one more just because we'll talk about why this matters in a minute but in first peter he says to the elders among you i appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed be shepherds or again be pastors that's the word pastor of god's flock that is under your care overseeing them which is the verb for you know it's bishoping or overseeing them The elders are to be the pastors and they're to oversee them. All right. And also notice in that verse that Peter identifies himself as an elder. Peter is one of the apostles, right? And he has a special place of authority because he's an apostle. And so he can, you know, speak as one of these commissioned witnesses of Jesus. But in terms of what his office is in the church, he says, I'm a fellow elder with you. All right. Here's why I stress that. In scripture... The elders are the group of people that lead the church, period. And importantly, there isn't anyone with more authority than them. And in particular, pastors do not have more authority than elders. Many pastors picture the structure of the church as if there's them, and then there's the elders, and then there's the church. And that is not how Scripture pictures the church. Instead, Scripture does make a distinction and say that some elders are given the special job of preaching and teaching. So like in 1 Timothy 5, it says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, right? So within the early church, we see they do set aside some of the elders for the special task of preaching and teaching. um, But they're still elders, right? They're one among equals with the other elders. In our denomination we call these groups teaching elders and ruling elders, okay? That's the way we try to communicate that. And so I am a teaching elder, and our other elders are ruling elders here at Kish. But we are equal in the eyes of God and in terms of authority. It's just that I have a specific task that that I'm given to do. Um, That should make us realize that this is a high calling, to be an elder which is why just like back in exodus the bible stresses that these elders are supposed to be qualified just like those leaders in exodus i will read you there are two different lists in the bible of qualifications i'm going to read one of them i'm not going to put it on the screen because it would be too hard on the person running the slides but um but paul in first timothy three he says now the overseer is to be above reproach faithful to his wife temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now again, you could preach a whole sermon walking through those qualifications and this is not that sermon But three things about that One those qualifications are not for moral perfection. I think sometimes people read those verses Um, but if you actually pay attention to what the qualifications are They're focused on certain areas of sin that make you unfit to for leadership, right? Like like quarrelsomeness or loving money It's the same kinds of things that were focused on back in exodus that could hurt a church Secondly, those qualifications don't come without grace. We are in Jesus Christ accepted and forgiven of our sins, and so the fact that like three weeks ago, you lost your temper that time does not make you quarrelsome in a way that means that you know you could never be an elder, right? But three, those qualifications are real and serious. Um, they really do mean something, and not everyone is qualified to be an elder. In fact, the way the most The new testament talks it expects that most you know people in the church probably aren't qualified to be elders and the reason those are serious qualifications is because elders also have serious authority within the church so here's how the author of hebrews puts it he says to the church obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So elders have an authority. That means the Bible says obey and submit to them. Now again, a couple of qualifications. Their authority is not absolute. They are serving as representatives of Christ. And so their authority does not extend beyond God's word. Um, An elder cannot just tell you like, oh, you need to buy this kind of car or, you know, you know, or, or rule on things that are outside of the purview of scripture. They are under shepherds of Christ. And in fact, in scripture, there is a special kind of scary judgment reserved for those in authority who would abuse that authority. And then second, we need to remember that there's always a group of elders ruling the local church right and that authority rests with that group of elders together and so one person who's an elder who comes up with some you know ideas and doesn't have that group behind them does not speak with the you know that authority in those kinds of things but elders do have real authority we struggle with that idea in our day. We don't like words like submit, right? I mean, we all instinctively want to view our leaders the way we view our people Like, their job is, I mean, hopefully better than that, but their job is to represent me and do whatever I want, right? And, you know, get my agenda done. And that is not the biblical image of elders. Elders are not representatives of the congregation. They are representatives of Christ to the congregation, actually important let me say they're not representing us as the congregation right the job of an elder is to represent jesus to the congregation their authority is like that jesus gives to the apostles in matthew 18 he says truly i tell you whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven so they do have a real authority all right that's a lot of ground i know (laughs) um but let me try to so let me try to draw that all together okay um in in a pattern we really see repeated from exodus we see these leaders of the church they're appointed under jesus and they share in his authority to to teach and decide matters on behalf of the church Um, it's delegated their authority is by jesus Um, and they're especially accountable to him because of that and are supposed to have certain qualifications because they have that authority two last notes before we kind of sum up that up one is that we need to recognize that those elders are elders they're ordained as elders and and it's something that they have for their whole lives unless they would you know step step away from it themselves so um ordained is a word that again i know we're having to use some big words but it means set apart for a purpose right they're set apart for this purpose and here's how paul describes timothy's ordination as an elder he says to timothy do not neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you watch your life and doctrine closely persevere in them because if you do you will save both yourself and your hearers so he's saying this thing happened when you were ordained when elders laid their hands on you which is still if you see an elder ordained here what we do when we ordain them right the elders of the church gather and lay hands on them Um, they are set apart Um, And given this gift he speaks of it that then informs their role in the church for the rest of their lives And then one other note um, There is another office of the church called deacons. All right, and deacons are awesome and also very important But we're not this is not the sermon about deacons some other time. We'll have to discuss that and the reason is because deacons do not Rule they don't have authority What happens is in act 6 the apostles who are the first elders leading the church, right that others are added to They um Recognize that they can't handle all the practical affairs and hospitality and care for the poor and needy and sick in the church That they wouldn't be able to do their jobs if they did And so they appoint in act 6 the first deacons to do that and that's the role of deacons All right So that's the new testament picture of church leadership um, and in just a minute, we're going to talk about a couple of things that that means for us. First, very quickly though, because these are the kinds of questions I get asked sometimes, so let me explain how our church and denomination tries to live that out, right? Just so that you know what's going on when you hear these things referenced. First of all, within our church, we have a session of elders, and then we also have deacons. There are a number of ruling elders, right now, there are nine, and I am a teaching elder that are active on that session and then there are also other people who have been ordained as ruling elders who right now aren't active on this session but that's that's within our local church um and then very briefly we're a part of a denomination called the evangelical presbyterian church so we're part of what's called a presbytery which is just that word for elders right um And what happens is a few times a year, that presbytery gets together and handles business that's bigger than just the local churches, handles disputes within local churches that have gotten out of hand, finds teaching elders, things like that. But the thing is, the Presbytery is just a gathering of the elders of all those churches in the area. Does that make sense? It's not like there's not a Presbytery dude who's above the elders. It's just the elders come together and decide together. And I was actually at Presbytery the last few days. And then once a year, there's a General Assembly. And again, that's just all the elders from all the churches in our denomination. And the General Assembly would decide denominational issues and handles things like like our missions agency, things that You know you want kind of all the churches together to work on but again it's just all the elders it's like a thousand elders right usually gathered together at general assembly um all right that's a lot of ground but the bible does actually spend quite a bit of time discussing this which is part of why we're talking through it today um and in just a minute then i want to talk about some ways that i think this calls us to reflect on how we live but to do that i just have to introduce Three more of those words, all right? So bear with me for just a minute longer. We are um, a Presbyterian church. Presbyterian is a word that literally just means ruled by elders, all right? Now, importantly, we are not the only denomination that believes that you're ruled by elders. There are lots of other churches out there that are ruled by elders. But we got that name because it happened at a point in history where we were distinguishing that from two other ideas does that make sense i mean there are lots of like baptist churches or other you know i mean if you know i mean i know i'm actually not sure how valley covenant is but i know the red brick church has you know anyway so so it's not that only presbyterians believe in rule by elders but there are some groups within christianity that disagree one group is what we would call episcopal again i'm sorry for the words i wish these things would be simpler it just means ruled by bishops all right? So there are some churches that have people over the local church, apart from local churches that are bishops, and they tell local churches what to do. If you were Catholic or Anglican um, or a few other denominations, you know, in your background, you may be familiar with that. And again, while those people are Christians and we love them, we would think that they are wrong because in the Bible, bishops and elders are the same people, right? And then there's another group that we were also being distinguished from, and that's called Congregationalists. Congregationalists believed in the rule by the whole congregation that no one in the congregation has special authority um, or maybe it's just the pastor that's an elder. Some congregational churches believed that, but the people that ran that church would be like a board that was just elected by the congregation and in that in congregational churches, if you have People, you know, leading the church, they're regarded as representatives, but every congregant is regarded as having equal authority. Now, to be clear, in Presbyterianism, the congregation still does have a say and a role to play. Um, The congregation really does two things. First of all, it's the congregation's job to recognize who God is calling as an elder and, you know, and put them forward to serve as an elder and see those gifts and calling in that person. And then secondly, before someone becomes an elder, two things happen first the session the, the the elders of the church examine that person and um and approve them and then the congregation votes on that person to approve them and we do it that way because again you need to be qualified for the office and it's an office that's important and has authority and so that way either group basically can can veto it does that make sense so so that's how it works the congregation has that role um and we do that because eldership is a big deal so i put those up there to say this. In the United States, one of those forms of church government became way more popular than the others, all right? Um, And it's not Presbyterianism. (laughs) Um, in, In the U.S., congregationalism is just instinctively what people gravitate towards. It's that way because we are in a country that loves kind of every individual having as much power as possible, right? You know, I mean, that's kind of the the whole idea that underlies our democracy, that no one should tell me what to do, I should be independent and my own boss. And also, honestly, um, a lot of pastors encouraged that in the United States. It's just worth noting that a lot of pastors, I think, instinctively like to lower our view of ruling elders, because while it feels like that makes the congregation stronger, usually really the person who gets stronger is the pastor, right? Because he's then kind of the king of the church who gets to just, you know, stand up there and tell the church how he thinks it should run. And that's a problem as pastors have done that. So that has happened and that has affected the way a lot of us, even those of us in churches that have elders think about elders, I think. We often instinctively don't have the kind of high view of their office that the Bible would give us. And so all of that said, um, there's two things I'd like us to then think about coming out of that. One is big picture, and then the other is the specific reason that I'm bringing it up. But big picture, this is something that the session and I have been discussing here at Kish really for the last couple of years. Elders in scripture are called to oversee the teaching of the church, to shepherd and care for all of its members, to visit them, particularly those who are sick or struggling, to um, pay attention to those in need, to pray regularly for all of the elders of the church, and to be accountable to Jesus for all of their lives. That's actually maybe the most serious way that I, and I know many of the other elders as we've talked about this, feel, is that, like, come Judgment Day, when I am standing before Jesus Christ as an elder— He's going to say, not just like, what did you do in your life, but what did the people under your care do? And I have a sort of responsibility to, you know, to answer for my care of them. So we've been talking about that. Um, And we recognize that there's ways that the session needs to grow into that calling. That's what we've been discussing. And I want to be clear, right, as someone who is an elder here, but kind of came in from the outside, that's that's not really the session's fault that there's ways that they've been discussing how we need to grow. Because in many ways they're doing the tasks that they signed that they were called to do when they signed up, right? I mean, we haven't always done a good job of recognizing the seriousness of that calling. Um and I've been deeply blessed and encouraged by the way the members of Session have really been discussing how we can pursue that and care for people better and shepherd the flock here at Kish better. Um but there's ways that we want to continue to grow and need to continue to grow in that. And so Here's the general thing that I want to ask all of us to do Which is think about and pray about how we can help our elders live into that calling and how we can encourage them in that calling How we can be patient as they seek to do it and how we can give them the kind of honor that that involves And since some of us are elders, right? We also need to think about how we can continue to grow and how we can seek to shepherd the flock of god and lead them Well in this important way Again, a lot more could be said about that. But I invite all of you to be praying and just thinking about how we can do that. Um, And then specifically, the thing that we're going to ask is at our congregational meeting on February 24th, as part of talking about how we want to do that, we're going to be trying to change a couple of the bylaws of the church to to help us, you know, I mean, do that in ways that we think are better. So let me just explain that to you. Um, Right now, the way that session works is... Um, there is a yearly rotation. There's a fixed number of elders every year, which is nine. And every year, three of them rotate off. They can re-up once, then they, they can't. And you, um, and um, once they're off session, they might never get back on. I mean, it's actually been interesting going back and looking through our rules to see people who were ruling elders and haven't been, you know, I mean, like, been able to actively live that out in a long time. Um, and in addition... The question of who will be up for session is decided by our nominating committee, which often means that they're scrambling to try to fill those roles, and that often means that it's very hard for us to do what we're supposed to do in terms of training those people and equipping them and examining them. Um, And they have to find three people every year, and I know that there are years where nominating committee really struggles with that. And... um, there are a number of challenges that arise from that structure on one level, it raises some practical questions, like we said, it makes training and equipping and examining people difficult because oftentimes it's very very you know it 's a very very short window of time that has to happen in, and if someone concludes maybe i 'm not called to this, you're left with the situation of having to figure that out. Um, Two, just in general, having specific quotas every year raises a bunch of biblical and theological questions. Most notably, what happens if you can't find three qualified people that are willing to say, this year I'm going to step on? Um, Because by our bylaws, we would have to, even if we didn't have qualified people. And three, it creates a mentality, I think, for some of us, especially some of us in the congregation, where elders are not elders for life. They're just elders for three years. (laughs) And then after that time, we don't really view them as elders anymore. And that's because of that. The deeper issue, I think, and Session thinks with that, is that that's encouraged us as a Session, and it encourages us as a congregation to just view the elders as a church board. Um, Because, frankly, if I described how a church board does things to you, it would probably be basically identical to (laughs) to that structure. Um, And so we've been talking about how to live into that, and part of that is that we've been talking about whether there's some ways to change structurally how we do things, to better reflect um, the way that scripture views the office of elder because structure often shapes our beliefs. And so here's how things would work with what we're suggesting to change. First of all, um, everyone at Kish who is a ruling elder, we would really emphasize is a ruling elder, whether they're active or not right now. Everyone on session is agreed to, you know, to continue with this for now. Um, and everyone who is ordained as a ruling elder since we joined the EPC, which was in 2008, um, will also be asked if they want to continue with this, and they'll be a ruling elder. I'll just note, if you were a ruling elder before that and haven't been since that time because of some weird stuff with how that transition happened, um, I mean, come talk to me. You're not technically on the rolls as an elder right now, but as a session, we can totally talk through that too. Don't. But But everyone who's been there since then Um, will be asked whether they want to serve and do some of the things we're talking about doing. And if they don't, that is cool, just to be clear, right? (laughs) Like they did not sign up for that when, you know, when they agreed to do things. And so, you know, they can just step down and that will be honored. And then for everyone else that wants to continue, what we will do is um, we will set up elders on a rotation still, right? So they'll still be on session for a few years and then off for a few years and I can't tell you how many years because um, that will be up to the ruling elders to decide if we go forward with this, right? I mean, we need to know who that will be. But, um, but the difference is that it's expected that they would rotate back onto session and then back off of session. And um, we would emphasize the fact that they continue to be elders of the church even when they're not on session. They would still, for example, help with the Lord's Supper from time to time. And as we want to continue to grow in shepherding every member of KISH, they will all kind of share that shepherding responsibility, although only some of them will be coming to the session meetings and voting and doing that stuff at a time. And then the question might be, how do we get new elders? Because the way that we do it now involves having to fill those slots every year. And the answer is that both you as the congregation and we as the session will be paying attention and asking who would be a good elder that isn't, and nominating them to be elders when we see that. Interestingly, that's actually a right the congregation has now, even though we have a nominating committee. It's just not something that we ever really talk about. But if you see someone who would be a good elder, you can put them forward and say, I think this person would be a good elder. And then what we would have is the time to talk to that person and work through the process no matter how long it takes right if it only takes a few months that's great if someone needs five years to kind of work through stuff and grow into some things they've got that time too but we can have that process of developing leaders and then still at the congregational meeting if there's new people who are becoming elders we would vote on them and they would enter into that system so that's what's happening. And I know that's a lot of detailed stuff and a lot of stuff to run through. Part of why we're having this discussion right now, a month ahead of time, is so that we can talk about it, right? So if you have questions about how that would work, talk to me or talk to any member that's currently on session. Actually, would you guys mind just standing up um, so that people know who you are? You don't, you don't have to. or waving or something so that folks are aware of who our current, currently active elders are. Thank you. I didn't warn them that I was going to do this. Thank you, guys. All right. That said, stepping back from that specific request, let me just offer two final thoughts about both this specific thing, but also generally about eldership and leadership within the church. The first one is that having a strong group of elders leading a church is one of the best and most important ways to promote health in the church. A strong session is good both for the congregation and for the pastor. It's good for The the pastor the teaching elder and by the way you can still call me pastor even though all elders in a sense are pastors That's fine, but um Because they can provide support and accountability to me And it's also good for the congregation Both because it can support and shepherd them And because it's a check on pastors who get too big for their britches or who come up with foolish ideas Which all of us can do So it is a good thing to have a strong group of elders and secondly if I can step back from being a member of session and an elder here at Kish and just reflect personally, you all are blessed with some wonderful people in leadership. One of the the really encouraging things to me as we've talked over the last three years that I've been here, you know, as elders about growing in that and really serving the church is seeing the willingness of these men and women to recognize the way it's God is at work and try to help that and care for people. Um, I mean everyone that i've gotten to serve with is awesome and I know the other folks that are ruling elders and they're awesome, too um After the service you can give them a hug or pat them on the back or something if you if you know some of them But I am grateful for them and you should be as well Because friends jesus is leading us as a church. He's calling and at work and leading us forward He does that in the world, but he's also doing that here at kish. It is beautiful to see the ways that he is at work It is good for us to pray that they would continue and as a part of that we should pray for and give thanks to those that god has called to lead us from the bottom of my heart i rejoice that there are such faithful folks who are doing that let's pray together father i um, come to you both as a person in your church that is grateful for the ways that you have given us leaders to care for us and as a shepherd who acknowledges the seriousness of my calling and prays that I and the other elders here at Kish might faithfully discharge that calling. Thank you that you are at work in our midst. Pray that you would continue to serve and grow your church and call people to trust and hope in your name. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the head of us, the church. Amen.